Welcome again, everybody. Thanks for being here this weekend. And everybody watching online and at the Montrose building, thanks for gathering there as well. Happy Easter. And uh, thanks for, for joining us. I'm, uh, I'm excited to jump into a, a new series this weekend that we'll, we'll kick off this weekend and we'll talk about here for the next few weeks. And we called it Disrupt the Default. And uh, as I was trying to think through like a, a series and a good path to go in our conversation, um, I started asking questions like this. So I, I just, I wrote down, uh, what if we could find a new path to define our lives? Like in all, all the craziness in our world and that, the way that, that shows up in our personal lives, uh, you run into like circles that you're running in, spinning on, uh, answers that are recycled, things that don't have a ton of depth and you start to wonder why sometimes. And I just started thinking, what if there was a different way, different way to approach those things? I wrote down, what if there was a path that can't be found in ourselves in our cultural thinking or in our educational paradigms? Like, what if, what if there's truth or insight that you don't run into, like, naturally? It's not gonna show up on Instagram. Uh, it's not gonna show up in a, in a classroom or in a continuing business education idea for better sales kind of thing. Like, what if there's something else that, unless you make a point to find it and search it, you're not gonna come across it? And then I just said, what if that path could be life-changing or defining? Uh, would that be worth the conversation? That's kind of the way that I think. I'm like, if we're gonna gather together, you're gonna take time out of your life and, and kind of sit and hear what God has to say, would it be worth it? Is there value in it? And is there something there that you're not gonna run into any place else? And that's where this idea or kind of the heartbeat behind disrupt the, the default came from, it's this idea that we have default positions in our life, right? We all do. So we all were raised a way that we were raised. We all were exposed to a culture that we're exposed to. We all have our own opinions and our own truths. And there's defaults that we run into our life. They become like the foundation of our life and thinking and, and perspective, right? And those defaults become normal, they're natural. They, they even kind of feel like home a little bit. Like unless life goes this way or things go this way, it doesn't feel right or it doesn't feel natural. Those are our defaults. And unless a disruptor comes in to break those defaults, we would never even realize that there was a different way, a different path, or a different opinion, right? So I was trying to think about this. I, I, I texted Heidi, my wife Heidi, and I was like, hey, hon, when you married me, when we got married all those years ago, what were some default positions that I had that I didn't know about that you disrupted? What were some weird things about me that, that you found weird but I didn't think were weird? So she sent me two pages of, <laughs> of things. I, I'll be honest, I hurt a little bit, but that's a counseling issue. I'll deal with that later on. We're doing well, therapy helps. But I, I just said, give me, so I picked some of them. She goes, here's some weird things about you. She's like, you believe that the house has to be clean before we go on vacation. Anybody agree with me about that? Here's all your healthy people. Look around, <laughs> right? You want answers from these people. So I, she's like, that's the weirdest thing. I'm like, no, you gotta clean it before you go so that it's clean while you're gone and it's clean when you get back in case it burns down 
or it's robbed, people will be like, these people are, at least they're tidy, right? Can they? So I'm like, that, that's a thing for me. She's like, that, that's weird. She's like, your pronunciation of certain words. I'm like, what word? She's like, like you say toilet. I'm like, yeah, to- like, I, like the toilet in the bathroom. She's like, that's not the way you say that word. I'm like, what do you know about the English language? Like, that's the way you say it. That's from, that, my mother taught me that. Um, she said, you believe that previews are a part of the movie, who agrees with me on that one? Again, here's your healthy people, right? Previews are a part of the movie. If I'm going to pay $782 to go see Spider-Man, I want to see everything that shows up on that screen, right? She's like, I've never heard of that before. And then she said, you think deep fried food is good food? I'm like, exactly. Whose mother saved the bacon grease? Anybody's? Yeah, that's right. I'm like, deep fried food is good food. She's like, it tastes like grease. I'm like, and your point is, it, it, hel- it helps your body. Grease makes your body work well. That's what, that's what I taught. And then she said, uh, she goes, you think start times are commitments, not suggestions. I'm like, right. If it starts, like, if it starts a certain time, that's when you should be there. Heidi doesn't think that way at all. She's like, it starts there. Ah, we got a half hour still before it really gets rolling, right? But we, we did this until I married the disruptor, right? Heidi Bogue. I, I just thought that was all normal to me. I ne- it never crossed my mind that there was another way to think or another way to function or another way to look at life. Like it never came across me. And so those were my defaults. And what I would say is we all have that. It's pretty normal. And we have that spiritually. Like we would have views of God and we would have ideas about how God works and we would think that those things are normal or those things are natural. And unless those views are somehow disrupted, we would never even draw them in into question. I, I wrote down a couple. As an example, I run into this a lot. Many people believe that uh, God will only accept me if I'm good enough. Like if I, if I got to get my act together and I got to deal with certain parts of my life and if I do that, then I can approach God, right? That, that's why we'll joke around and say, if I go to church, like it'll burn down, fall down, kind of a thing. But because we're like, ah, I'm not there yet. And so I got to get there before I can go there. And that's a deep, we've learned that. We picked that up and, and started believing it, right? And never maybe even question if it's true or not. We just think that way. Um, I have to earn entrance into heaven. Like, have I done enough good things to get to heaven, right? Did I score like enough spiritual points to, to make my way to heaven or not? Like many of us would think that way and we would have been taught that, especially if you grew up in religious circles, you would have been taught that, that you, you have to do the church and prayer and like these certain things and if you don't tally those things up, then, then there's no, no, no heaven for you kind of a thing. A big one that I've run into a lot lately is the idea that God doesn't even know me. He doesn't remember me or care about me, right? So I'm just by myself, I'm alone. And this isn't, like, a, like atheistic thinking, like people who believe that there's a God, but like why would God care about me? And why would he care about the issues of my life and, and it seems like he should be doing something somewhere else in the world. Why would he ingrain himself in the details of who I am or what, what I need? And we would think that way and we would operate that way in our relationship with God and unless that's challenged or defaulted, like it's disrupted some way, that default is disrupted, then we would never think differently 
And it might cause us to interact with God in a way that he doesn't even need us to interact with. Now, what's fascinating about Jesus is that Jesus is a disruptor. And so that is kind of the nature of of who he is. When you look at Jesus' teachings and you look at his life, you'll see that jump out right away. He disrupted political systems. He disrupted religious systems. He disrupted people's personal lives. He would come in with a truth and a perspective that nobody had ever interacted with before, but it was, it was almost the opposite or counter to what they would have normally thought. And on the surface, if you didn't trust him or know him or understand him, it just sounded crazy. But when you started to lean into it and trust him, you realize it was actually the truth that you, you needed. I'll give you an example. One, one of Jesus' most famous statements is, found, one place you find it is in Matthew chapter 16, So Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Now that is a completely disruptive statement because like in our culture today, you would never run across this anywhere, right? So what we would run across in our culture is if you want to really save your life and make it into something, what you double down is investing in yourself. You need some me time. You need to understand your truth. You need to follow it. You need to believe in yourself. Like that's the message that you're gonna find from, from Instagram to school to Disneyland. Like that's, that's what it's gonna be. We would never be confronted with the idea that if I really want to have my best life, I should give my life completely away. Like that is a complete disruption. It sounds lunacy on the surface. If you don't understand it, you don't have your, your, your mind and your heart around it, but that's like an example of something Jesus would say all the time. And it would feel completely backwards to us, but it would be the truth that maybe we need to lock onto to believe and to interact with Jesus, how, how he is for who he is, right? It's fascinating. One of the, one of the craziest things that Jesus ever said one of the craziest ways that he ever worked was when he was on the cross. And he said a couple things on the cross that are insanity, right? Total disruptions to the default. And yet they're actually the things that we really need and long for in our life. I'll show you what I mean. Luke 23 is where we're gonna hang out. So if you wanna, if you got a Bible, you can open up there. If you wanna use your phones or your app, or if you need a Bible and you want a physical copy of one, uh, stop by the welcome desk afterwards and we'll, we'll, we'll give you one. We got one for you. You can just have it. But Luke 23 is where we're going to hang out. And Jesus really says some crazy things in this really, really fascinating scene on the cross. So what's happened so far in Jesus' stories, he's been arrested in the garden. He goes before the Jewish leaders. Then he goes before Pilate. All that's happened already, the Roman leaders. He's been beaten and he's... Um, kind of making his way to the cross. And when, and when you read that story, there was three guys getting crucified that day. So if you ever get in your image in that mind, those three crosses. So there's Jesus, and then there's these two, what the Bible calls criminals, right? These guys were probably anarchists, is who they probably were, uh, because that's, that's why Rome would crucify you. So they probably didn't like shoplift some pita bread at the market kind of a thing. They're probably anarchists. They would have considered Jesus an anarchist. That's what they would have thrown him into that category. So they're being 
crucified. So the Bible says this is what happens. Two others, both criminals, that's who they are, right? They were led to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus there then says, Father, forgive them. He's talking about the crowd, right? So the, the religious leaders, the political leaders, the crowd, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched. The leaders, religious leaders, scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So everybody's mocking. In another part of the Bible, in the book of Matthew, the Bible says that at the beginning, both of the criminals were mocking him and scoffing at him, right? So you got the scene. Jesus is there, crucified, beaten, body is destroyed, humiliated. He's hanging up there naked with a crown of thorns on his head. Both of these anarchists are on either side of him, his right and his left. At the beginning, they're joining with everybody else. So there's a crowd that's watching all this unfold. Religious people who are mocking, political people who are scoffing, the criminals are joining in. And then one of them looks at him and says, hey, big guy, if you really are the Messiah, how about you get yourself out of this and you get us out of it too, right? Like we, we all want off these crosses and you're up here with us. And both of them, the Bible says, we're doing that. Now in this progression of these events playing out, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So you've got... Two anarchists who are angry, bitter, cursing at the government. Jesus, who is innocent, who is not lashing out, who is not calling down curses, who's concerned about his mother, his friend, and then he looks at these people who are being completely unjust to him and who are just mocking him like crazy and he speaks the words, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. In that progression of things, one of these two criminals, you see a shift take place in his life. Something clicked in his heart. As he's hanging there with Jesus, 99% sure that's the first time he ever met or interacted with Jesus. He's hanging there with Jesus, He's thinking about the condition of his heart and he's listening to the noise and the condition of other people's hearts. And then he hears the compassion and the forgiveness of Jesus in his process of being executed. And he goes from both of them mocking and scoffing to a shift from one. You see this guy move and he moves from hate to hope. He, he goes from God... You're, you're dumb, this is a joke, this is lunacy. You're here with us. Like, we're, we're getting crucified, you're getting crucified. 
what's the difference? But somehow as Jesus responds to the crowd, as Jesus is heart focused in, there's not this outburst of anger or bitterness or resentment. Something clicks. And he moves from hate to hope. And the Bible says this, the other criminal protested. That's the only name we know for sure about the guy. How would you like to be recorded as that, as all of time? The other criminal. The other criminal protested. He looked at his buddy, he says, don't you fear God even when we have been sentenced to die? He looks at his friend, he's like, what are you doing, man? Like, we're dying. And you're acting the same way that you acted a week ago in the jail cell. A month ago when we were sitting around plotting a whatever they might have been plotting. This is the end of the road for us. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? And then he makes this kind of proclamation, ask a question. He says, we deserve to die for our crimes. We knew full well that if we tried to rebel against Rome, it wasn't going to end well and we did anyways. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. Something is different and unique about the way. We're showing up on the cross this way and his attitude and his heart's a totally different thing. He hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he goes from joining the crowd, joining the religious leaders. He goes from hate to hope and he has this conversation with his buddy and then he looks at Jesus and says, will you save me? Will you allow me, I'm choosing to believe in who you are never believed in who you are, don't really know anything about you, never cared at all. But in this moment of desperation, if you have hope and you have a future, would you let me in on it? Now, this is huge, this is huge. What this other criminal did was this, and I wrote it down this way. Embracing your reality is the beginning of embracing your rescue. Embracing your reality is the beginning of embracing your rescue. What the other criminal did was he embraced his reality. And he looked at his friend, he's like, bro, our default has us hanging here. And you're still hanging on to it. Our, our default, we would say, our, my default is what broke my marriage. And I'm still going with it. My default is what gave birth to my addiction. And I'm still running with it. My default is what got me into this financial situation, is what put a rift between me and my parents, is why I can never keep a roommate. It, my de- is why nobody trusts me. My default put me on this cross. And he looks at his friends like, and you're going with it? You're go- we, we have lost, man. <laughs> like, 
we're here. This does not work. And I have the attitude that you have, but he doesn't. He's forgiving people. You're still mocking people. He's forgiving people. And, and you're being more stubborn about the things that got us here in the first place. And what this criminal does is he embraces the reality of his life. His life did not work. His life did not play out. His math was bad math. And it, it only led him to places of brokenness and places of pain. We would say places of anxiety and desperation and hopelessness. And in that moment, he just owned it. The reality is, we deserve to hang here, but he doesn't. And he moved from hate to hope. Hey, Jesus, I hear the crowd, I hear the religious leaders, I hear the government, but I hear you. And if you could do for me what you just did for them, can I join you? Now, this is the crazy part. Where Jesus says crazy things, this is the crazy thing he says. Ready? Jesus looks at him and he says this. I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus looks at him and he's like, yeah, you can join me. Now listen, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the crowd. This guy is beaten, naked, mocked, scorned, crucified. They're mocking him. Bring yourself off the cross. If you really are God, bring yourself off the cross. He doesn't do it. And then he's like, yeah, you can join me in paradise. It's insanity. The thief's buddy is like, if you can get us down, get us down. Take us with you. Yeah, you can join me in paradise. It's crazy. To everyone hearing that, except those who trusted that Jesus was who he said that he was, which were his disciples, his mom was there, and the other criminal. I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise, right? At this moment, Jesus knew what only he could know. He knew what only he could know. I put it this way in my notes. Jesus holds mastery over our mystery. He's holding mastery over our mystery. He knew what only he could know. He knew what the crowd didn't know. He knew what the religious leaders didn't know. He knew what the politicians didn't know. That probably wasn't too hard. Like he knew that. He, he knew what the, what the criminal's friend didn't know. He knew what only he could know. He held mastery over the mystery. 
And everybody else is looking and saying, this is, san- this is insanity. This is crazy. You're naked. You're beaten. You're mocked. You're scorned. You're on the cross. And Jesus is like, I know you think that, but I'm actually winning. I'm actually providing hope. My death's going to lead to life. And by the way, you don't know it yet, but I'm getting up in three days. And I'm speaking into the mystery of this person's hopelessness because I have a mastery of what's going on. I know that I'm God. I don't actually need to prove it to you. And what you think is happening is not what's happening at all because I'm a disruptor. I'm going to approach this in a completely different way than you would have ever even thought to approach it. They thought the cross equaled defeat. Jesus knew that the cross equaled victory. He's like, you guys don't even understand it. I'm good. You can be with me in paradise. They, they thought that hope was lost. Jesus knew that hope was unfailing. And that, death means nothing to me. Death means nothing to me. You think it's the end of hope. Because all the stuff you thought was going to happen isn't going to happen. It's going to happen in ways that you can't even ask or imagine. They thought that they had killed a lunatic. He's crazy. He just said that the guy would be in heaven. He won't let this go. I know that you just unleashed a lion of Judah. You're going to see a power that is beyond anything that you can even comprehend when I walk out of that grave. And I know that's going to happen. And that criminal trusted that that was going to happen. And Jesus looked at his heart in a desperate moment, in a broken moment, in a realistic moment, I said, yeah, I will do for you what you just believed I could do for you, but you don't even understand how it's all gonna happen. The resurrection changed it. Jesus disrupted the default of sin and death through the resurrection. He conquered death. It has no power over him. He conquered sin. It has no power over him. Through his resurrection, all of that was destroyed. And Jesus, who knew full well that he was about to defeat death, and he was about to overcome sin, and that he was going to walk out of that grave, looked at this guy and said, you can be with me. Why? Because I trust your heart. And I see the purity of it. And I understand that you put your trust in me. Well, that disrupts the default because I thought you had to be good enough to go to heaven. I thought that, that you had to earn your way there. I thought that, that I had to have my life cleaned up and sanitized before I even approached God. I thought that God didn't even think about me or remember me. And Jesus looks and says, that's not the truth at all. That's what you think. That's not what I think. That's why I can look at a guy who has never gone to church, never read his Bible, never said a prayer, never given a nickel, never done a good deed, never sang a worship song, has never helped anybody, doesn't understand anything about theology or doctrine. I can look past his exterior into his heart and know that he's hoping that I am who I am. And I can look back and say, guess what, bud, you're right. And I can disrupt all of that and focus my heart on you in my moment of deepest agony because you asked. Because you asked. And because you allowed me 
to disrupt this moment in your life. It's fascinating. When you look at these two criminals, one, one longed for what I call a reinstatement. He was the guy, he's like, hey, bro, listen, if you're God, get us all down off this cross. And what he wanted was his life back. Like, get me down off the cross. Like, a redo would be great right now. And if you could, like, uh, heal me, because this is pretty physically brutal, and maybe prosper me, a little bit of money to get me going, you know, if, and maybe my hair grows back. Like, if, if you could do that for me, just reinstate me to the life that I want to live. And then if you would bless my default, if you would empower my, de- if you would make my default work, that would be great. If you, if you could somehow uh, just give credibility to the truth that I believe I've found in myself, that would be great. Just get us, get us back to square one. I just want to be reinstated to the life that I already trusted and believed even though it didn't work. And I say this today, I would say it this way, that that criminal had a pre-grave view of Jesus. You just do something for me, right? And, and get us out of this mess. The other criminal, the other criminal didn't long to be reinstated. He longed for a resurrection. I deserve this. I made this mess. My, my life winds up on some cross every time. Every time I try to do a relationship by myself, this is where I wind up. Every time I try to overcome an addiction, this is where I wind up. Every time I make decisions devoid, this is where I wind up. Every time I, I do something to, to blow my life up, blow my business up, blow, it, I, it happens again and again and again and again. And I always find myself pinned to the cross. And you know what? It's not their fault. It's not her fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's me. And I don't need an improved version of me. I need you. I need to die to myself so that I can be made alive in Christ. I need a disruptor to change everything, to move everything, and to make me something that I cannot be. He didn't look down, he looked up. And he wanted a resurrection, what I would call, he wanted a post-grave understanding of Jesus. I need the power of the resurrection in my life. I need, I don't need to change. I need to be changed. I don't, I don't need to create hope. I need to be given hope. I, I don't need to be free to be myself. I need to be free from myself. Jesus. I know who I am. And I know this cross was earned. But you're different. And guys, that's the extent, that's the extent of what he knew. You're different. That's what I know. I'm cursing, you're forgiving. I'm angry that my life is where it's at. You're making sure your mom's okay. 
And all I know is that I am me. And it led to this cross, and I deserve it. But I can tell that you're you. And if you can change me, the reality is, the reality is that we are all spiritual criminals. That's what the Bible says. It's everybody, everybody has sinned and everybody falls short. Everybody winds up on their cross. The reason Jesus died and the reason that the Bible says he, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The reason he was willing to die is because he knows that we all wind up on our cross. The path we take, our default, goes to the same place every time. Every time. And it goes there a thousand different ways. But here we are again. My truth didn't pan out. My way doesn't play out. My hope didn't pay out. And I'm on the cross. Broken, battered, anxious, depressed, addicted, exhausted, spent. Anybody got a better option? And a resurrected Jesus looks at you and says, actually, yes. But to gain your life, you're going to lose it. To live, you die. To be free, you make yourself a bond servant. To be first, you want to come in last. And when the disruption is embraced, the power of the resurrection is released. I don't know your opinion about God, but I know his opinion about you. Because in our lives, in our sin, what we do, it, some of us are just the watchers. You know, not, not opposed to Jesus. I mean, we, we're dialed in Easter weekend, right? We're not opposed to Jesus, just not, you know, just kind of is. Some of us are the scoffers. I know what he wants. I'm just not, I don't care. I'm not doing that. Some of us are the mockers. And some of us are the other criminal. And today is the day that God is disrupting 
He knows your sin. He knows your sin. The Bible says nothing's hidden from God. He knows your secrets. He knows your shame. He knows what you won't tell your spouse. He knows what your parents never knew. He knows. And when he looks at that crowd that we're all a part of, he loves you. He's not calling down curses. He's not out to get you. He's not done because you blew it one more time, you dummy. He loves you. And he died to disrupt you. It doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done. It doesn't matter how faithful or unfaithful you've been to God. It doesn't matter how religious or irreligious you are. When you agree with the reality that you deserve it, you start to embrace the rescue that Jesus died to give you. Incredible. It's incredible what Jesus wants to do. I wanted to be sure that we didn't leave Easter without an action point. Because I, I know we do that. I do that too. I, I get caught in a moment and then, you know, I'm on to whatever's on, you know, Netflix. So I wanted to be sure that we had a, an action point, a response point. So I had to put on your chairs these cards. Grab it if you got Grab that card. This card is for you. It's not for us. So don't worry about about that this card is for you and only you but I wanted to be sure that you could act if you wanted to so I put three little things on that card what's my next step some of you are like Jeff I'm in I don't know what to do I'm the the other criminal that said yes to Jesus and I have no idea what we would love to help you if you want us to The other box there is I need help. As I get it, like we need, we need to help each other and we want to help you, it's what we do. We love it. So if we can help you, we wanna help you. And the other one there is I accepted Jesus today. I don't really know what I'm accepting. I don't really know all that it means, but I know that I'm supposed to be on this cross and I don't wanna be he was on it and he was in that grave and that old boy got up and I need the power of the resurrection of my life and I just I just choose to believe this is for you it's not for me so if you want us to know if you want us to know or you want us to reach out then put your contact information on it and we will If you don't, don't. It's it's really cool. If you want us to pray for you and you want us to know that we're praying for you specifically, then put your name on it and we'll pray for you. Or maybe your first name will pray for you. If you don't want to, don't. Don't worry about it. 
But if you want, if you need, we want to be there for you, okay? We're going to sing this song. It's called The Pride of the Father. I love this song. Man. I think about this criminal man. What a terrible life. What led him to those decisions? What was his, where was his daddy? What was his home like? Where did he, I mean, he, wow, he's on a cross. And to go from scorn and shame and disgust to the presence of God because you asked, it's exactly what God will do for us. That's what this song sings about. So I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna lead us in this. If you wanna fill that card out, you can. If you don't, just take a minute. Right? Just take a minute. And uh, understand, right? Maybe allow God to disrupt your default. Right? Jesus, we love you. We're grateful to you. God, thanks for loving us first. You're good. We do nothing to earn your love. We don't have to earn your love. It is freely and abundantly given. We have to accept it, but we don't have to earn it. You're not asking us to. God, you're not asking us to be better people. You're asking us to be transformed people, change. We can't get our act together. That's the whole point. We can't get our act together and show up in front of you pristine. We, we can't do it. We've tried that you would love us, that you would value us. Jesus, that you would willingly lay down your life for us. Oh my. And then that you're not dead. We don't worship a memory. We don't go, we don't go to a memorial. We serve a living God. By your own power, raise yourself from the dead defeated death, defeated sin, and then brings that power to bear in our lives. In our, in our unique ways right now, God, would you uniquely press into our hearts and draw us closer and closer to you.